0: Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Point podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. So hi everyone, and thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I am sitting solo to do an episode. We're about halfway through season one, and I thought it might be a good time for me to come in and talk about a few things. A lot of people um, have had questions about the podcast or about Diapoint or about my background. And I'd like to talk about those as well a little bit, but also there's a few other things I'm going to highlight. And this month being October, one of the things that always comes up in the life of people, especially people that have children living with diabetes is what should I do with Halloween? So I'm just going to jump right into it um, with one of the biggest questions I'm asked, um, every October is how to manage Halloween. And I'll admit it was terrifying in the beginning. We, we didn't really participate in Halloween the first year after my son was diagnosed, he was still quite small because he was diagnosed at 20 months old. But the next year or two later, we started trick-or-treating door to door, just in our building, um, But even then, it was still tricky to navigate because I'd never had to do that before. And I was determined from very early on that my son would do all the things that a kid without diabetes would do, that this would not affect him. This would not make him feel left out ever. And so we were never big into celebrating Halloween when I grew up. But for some reason, my son embraced Halloween and he loved dressing up. He loved having parties. It wasn't about the candy. It was about being with friends and just having fun and whatever that was. If it was dancing or you know playing a party game, he just loved it all. But he especially loved to dress up in, in a costume and started planning his costumes early every year. So the first year, the challenge that I had was, uh, he was, he's, he had, was, and is still on an insulin pump, was having to bolus him every time he'd want to stop and eat something. And then that would cause him to fall behind his friends because friends were just so excited to go from door to door and they didn't understand why we were pausing. Actually, not even forget understanding. They didn't even notice. So we'd have to stop, give insulin. And then he felt sad that he couldn't go on. So what ended up happening, I think I just kind of increased his basal rate or gave him a little bit more insulin. So then he wouldn't have to stop every single time he wanted to try something. And I think he only really stopped three or four times. And even then he wouldn't eat all of it. So for us, fortunately, he was not as interested in the candy or the sweets itself as he was with the celebration. And I say, fortunately, not because people with diabetes can't have candy with type one, I always say the only kind of candy they can't have is that which is laced with poison, but just diabetic or not, I'm going to say it again and again, you'll hear me say that a lot, diabetic or not, nobody needs to have pounds of candy every day or kilos of candy every day. We all need to be eating healthy, but one day a year, if your child wants to participate in Halloween, it should be okay. If you're not sure, ask your doctor how to go about navigating it. But one of the things that we were told very early on by the first doctor that I was assigned to, he said, let him be a kid, let him eat what he wants. You don't want to induce an eating disorder later. And that was some really great advice that I do live by. I think for girls, eating is a much more complex and bigger topic than boys usually but we're, we're very into healthy eating and healthy lifestyle at home and everything in moderation. And if my son wants to go trick or treating, then I let him do it. And he usually forgets about the candy the next day. Now that he's 13, as we grew up with Halloween every year and school parties and all of that kind of stuff every year. Now that he's 13 last year, he went out on his own when he was 12 with some friends and he was on a bicycle. He wanted to be a paper boy that rode a bicycle, but that was a strategic costume because then he could have bags on the side of the bike and he could also take my large photography bag and get so much candy. And then at the end of the night, he and his friend, he went over to his friend's house and they sat down and they traded candy and he ate some and he managed it quite well. He didn't feel great after, not because his blood sugar was high and he didn't care for it, but it was just because he's not used to eating that much sugar or that and and that much like really simple sugars. So the rest of the candy we put away, I have this drawer in a refrigerator and we keep it in case we need it for low blood sugar treatment, but the rest of that candy, for the most part, he never touched the rest of the year. And that's typically how Halloween goes every year. Now that he's one year older, we'll see what happens this year. He hasn't asked me about a costume. I haven't asked what he wants to be or what he's doing. Um, But I sit here and I look out my window and I see some kids playing outside that are much younger than him. And it makes me wonder if, if he'll want to continue to participate because he's almost, I guess, kind of grown out of Halloween to some extent, even though I'm sure he'll still do something. but. It's it's maybe easier now somehow, but enjoy Halloween. I made a short one minute YouTube video about it that I'll put it in the show notes, um, so you can you can have a look at that. But I say for Halloween, child first, diabetes second. Teach them how to manage it. Make sure they get the right amount of insulin for the carbs that they're having. But don't change your traditions because you might have diabetes newly into your life. Another topic. So a lot of people have been asking me about the podcast and how I decided to start dialogue. And do I have any, you know, did I go to special training or do anything for it? And the honest answer is no, I did not really get any special podcast training. I do have a team of people that helped me produce it and put it out um, every week, which I'm so grateful and thankful for. But I decided to start a podcast because I know that there are so many people out there with diabetes that have stories that need to be heard. And while I love to write and I would love to write about them, I think it's much more engaging and much, much better if we hear people tell their own stories. And I also wanted to present some topics that inspire people. I wanted to present topics that make people think, and I think having a podcast is a really consumable, easily consumed way, I should say, that we can think about all these different aspects of diabetes, because when people think of a diabetes diagnosis, they think it's terrible, that it's horrible, and that it's ugly, and that it's the end of the world, if you don't take care of yourself, it can be really terrible and really ugly, and and really the end to, to some things. But there's no reason in this day and age where we live in a country or when we live in places that we have access to things that it should be that way. So having a podcast just allows me to reach more people with that message because I'm very hopeful for the future of people with diabetes. So that is kind of, that is my reason for wanting to start this podcast. While I don't have any experience in podcasting before, prior to the launching of Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast, I do have a lot of experience and background in healthcare. And I do have experience in managing my child's diabetes. I don't know what it's like to have diabetes, so I can't speak firsthand about that but I can empathize with people with diabetes from understanding a little bit more about my son's experience. And also having a healthcare background gave me special insight to some of the things that were happening to us that I didn't agree with, meaning some of the things people would say, or some of the processes, or just some things that I never thought about for any chronic condition, diabetes, or otherwise, when I was working in healthcare. We think we have all the answers because we're told we're experts. I worked as a healthcare consultant. I was a healthcare manager, a clinic manager. I worked in hospital quality management, dealt with accreditation, and and so many different wonderful areas that I was exposed to. But never once before, until I had a child actually, and I really had to say, take him to a pediatrician when, you know, he would have a rash for something or different things. And then you suddenly, you have to be an advocate for your child. And then when they're faced with something that's as permanent as a type one diabetes diagnosis, you see things that nobody should have to experience. And sometimes even the patients themselves don't realize that because I, I, I'm fortunate. It's a blessing and a curse that I'm able to see both sides. I'm able to experience things as a patient, but I also understand as a healthcare manager, why certain things happen and some of them should not be happening. But I do believe that this has made me a better advocate for all people with diabetes. And this was one of the driving reasons why I started Diapoint, because I want to make The world a better place. And in the space of diabetes, I would like to do that because there's a lot of room for improvement. My son was diagnosed when he was 20 months old. Um, I've told this story a few times before, but for those of you that haven't heard it, he started to drink a lot of water. I was working a lot. So I I was, you know, of course, a, a busy working mom working as a healthcare consultant with a 20 month old. And I had a lovely helper who was at home with him while I was at work and she came to me one day and she said, "I think he's drinking too much water." And I was like, "Really?" It was August in Dubai, which is just incredibly hot, hotter than hot and super humid, and I thought it might be normal that he's he's drinking so much water. But she said, "No, I really think it's it's too much." And I always called her the baby whisperer because she was very in tune with Aaron and just small children. They just, they loved her. They were drawn to her and she, she understood him. And I did notice he was going backward in toilet training because he figured that out and understood it fairly quickly, but he would wake up a few mornings that week. He started to wake up just fully drenched and it just didn't make any sense. So before I left for work the next day, I said, let's measure how much water he's drinking. And let's see. So he he drank a whole liter and a half of water in one day, and this was in addition to the milk he was drinking. Any anything else outside of that, which he may have been asking for a juice. We didn't give a lot of juice before diabetes. That was not really something that we gave on a regular basis because juices are full of sugar. Um, But now we use them to treat low blood sugar. So he was drinking way too much for. A twenty-month-old, and growing up, it's so funny how life has these things that that happen, you know. And then several years later, you can tap into those experiences to help you with something um, much later in life. I had this dog growing up, and when I was in my early twenties, he started to drink too much water, and he was urinating all the time. His hair was falling out, and it was really just baffling his veterinarian i used to have to drive across town so that they could check him because there was only one specialist that kind of knew a lot about different diseases in in dogs and they kept testing my dog for diabetes like every single time because they insisted that the dog had to have diabetes he was drinking too much water he was urinating but Later, they finally figured it out that he had um, an adrenal gland problem. It was, I can't remember. It was the hyper, the overactive adrenal gland. And I don't remember if that's Cushing's disease or Addison's. I think it's Cushing's disease. And then very long story. They started to give him the medication to treat it. And then it had an overreactive effect. And then it made him have an underactive adrenal gland. And then he had to take steroids the rest of his life, but he lived to be a very happy dog. But this, because of this dog and my experience with that, when I came home from work that one very hot August day and my son had drank a liter and a half of water And because we had done in the, I grew up in the U S and we did the JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundations walks almost every year when I was really young. So I had an awareness for diabetes and type one diabetes. I had no real idea what that meant. So I went to Dr. Google like everybody does and everything kept coming up as type one diabetes, type one diabetes. And I thought, okay, hopefully it's not that, but it, it still didn't. Hit me to understand what that meant. And I made a a doctor's appointment for the next day, which I think was a Thursday was the next day. He was scheduled to actually go for a checkup the following week. But I said, Well, let's I'm not going to be able to sleep this weekend. I'm going to be worried about it the whole time. Let me make an appointment now and insist that we go in and get this check just so we know what it is before the weekend and the suspense would be killing me. And went to the doctor's office, very good doctor. American board certified pediatrician with a practice in Dubai. And he said, no, nah, it's not possible. You don't have any family history. He's healthy. He's growing normally, but if it'll give you peace of mind, I'll check. He kind of shrugged it off as I like, if I, at least it felt as if he shrugged it off that I was a mom, like over-worried. So he pulled out his glucose meter and he checked and the blood sugar read, I think it was 640 either 640 or 460. I'm not sure if blood sugar, if the meter he had could read that high as a, a 640. He didn't believe it. So he asked his nurse to go get a second glucose meter. And the reading was again, the same. And sure enough, you know, he just shook his head. He was shocked. And this is why I say to people, doctors often miss it because you see a otherwise relatively healthy child. Why would you even think You know, that they would have diabetes, but it's something to consider when you have those symptoms of drinking too much water and urinating and different things. So then he did a urine, we took a urine strip and we checked for ketones, which that also showed high. And while we didn't have any vomiting or any of the later DKA um, symptoms, but he sent us to the hospital right away and that's where our journey began. At that time in the hospital, not a lot of people really knew or understood what to do. Nobody really educated us about a lot. We were put on a a sliding scale um, with insulin injections. There was a, a nutritionist or a nurse trying to kind of teach us about counting carbohydrates, but I'm not really sure that that was even really done because it didn't make sense to me until I was really with a diabetes team that could really educate me and in, in what to do. So I took a few months off work. I was fortunate I could do that, but I took a leave of absence to kind of just get my life together and figure out what was going on and figure out how to manage diabetes in my very small child. And I went back to work. I was before my son's diagnosis, I was on a project where I was going to have to drive an hour and a half one way every day. It was the project of a lifetime to build a new beautiful hospital, but I wasn't able to do it. So I took a back seat. I did some things remotely, but then they were running out of things for me to do remotely. So then I took a new position that kept me in a chair. That was a more operational job where I wouldn't have to travel even if an hour away because I wanted my son to live a normal life and he needed me here to be supported through all of that. And I'm, I'm not sorry I did that at all. It was difficult the first year because I had like, you know, this fear I was missing out on this great project, but in hindsight, it was absolutely the right thing to do. I don't think that there's anybody that I've ever come across or a mom particularly that You know, if her career took a backseat because she had to help a family member or a child, I don't think anyone has any regrets of ever doing that. And I know that I don't. And so now here we are several years later. My son is now 13. I left the corporate world in 2016 to start DiaPoint to focus on some of these areas and gaps that I experienced and that I saw through my newfound experience as a patient with my son. And I realized that while there were many good doctors here, after you went home, you were alone with your diabetes. And that can be very isolating because diabetes is something that's with you 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And not many people understand it. After you visit your doctor and medical team, there's not a lot of support. And also I wanted to not only support people, but help them find other things that they need. Like like in the shop, it's not about selling products, but we have other cool accessories. For example, medical tape. Never thought I could be so excited about medical tape, but the stay put tape we sell, it actually keeps your devices on and in place. And that's something that makes me really happy because when you lose a device, they're very expensive And then also, you lose the time, you lose the ability to see. Like, if it's a CGM, you're losing the ability to see blood sugar numbers and decrease risk and that sense of security and keep your child safe or or eat for yourself if you're an adult. There's so many, it's so much more than just a piece of tape. It's something that's keeping this device on you that can be life changing. So, those are some of the reasons why. I started Diapoint, but it took me a really long time to get to that. And there's quite a few reasons why. I think it took me a really good year to get used to the idea of being a mom with a child with type 1 diabetes and understand what that means and what my, my role was. There was a lot of grief and a lot of shame around it. I went through a lot of doubts and questioning if I myself might have had something to do with it. We were making his baby food from the best organic, and if not organic, from fresh produce. I wasn't buying really hardly anything that was processed ever. So I did everything right, but yet things went really wrong, or at least I thought I did everything right. So when people would learn about it, of course, they wouldn't know what to say or how to react And some of that was due to what their idea of diabetes is. Um, A lot of people think diabetes is the result of being obese or being overweight or not taking care of your health. So when they see a 20 month old with diabetes, they're like, how is that possible? And just for the record, not everybody that has type two diabetes is overweight and obese. If you're on my newsletter and you read my response, to the email I got from the gym owner, from the franchise gym owner, you will know that I was totally outraged at that. And but a lot of people do make those kind of comments. So one thing that I often share too are some of the things that people ask and people say. And I find this especially effective um, when presenting at medical conferences. Because the the doctors and everyone that's there, they're looking at diabetes from a medical perspective. And they know that people with diabetes go out in the world and they live with this and they deal with it every day, but they don't always get the gory details from the inside because when you go to their office, they're looking at your, your numbers, your outcomes, and trying to help you manage. They're not looking, now they're looking at it more, I think, but before they weren't looking so much at the psychosocial aspect of it. So some of the best questions that I've ever been asked, people have asked when they see his insulin pump, which he carries in a pack on his waist, they say, what is in that pack? Is that a cell phone? And he's like, you know, four years old. It's not a cell phone. One woman who I've I've seen on many occasions, every time she sees me, she asks if my son still wears an oxygen mask. He's never needed one for diabetes that you don't inhale your insulin. Happy to say that now we do have an inhalable glucagon, but they don't use oxygen masks. Explaining the concern security staff looks and comments is always fun. Now, I think over the years, more security have been exposed to insulin pumps and other diabetes devices, or they see people carrying medication. But it's always been a challenge. I find here in the UAE, the airport security and everyone's lovely, but we like to travel, at least in the pre-COVID world, we travel a lot more and we have a lot of travel stories and a lot of experiences because every airport security has been different. And some have been really challenging and some have downright made me cry. People ask always if he'll outgrow it. They'll be like, he'll outgrow it, right? Because he's so young. Unfortunately, no, it's for life. Shortly after my son was diagnosed, um, a trainer in a gym said to me, you must have eaten too many sweets when you were pregnant. That's why your son has diabetes. I didn't say anything to him. I didn't go complain to his boss. It just didn't seem to make any sense at the time. And I was so horrified by the comment. I wasn't even sure that I could have the energy to go complain about it someone asked which one of you is it me or my husband that's a carrier other people have someone once asked me what is what is that for talking pointing to his insulin pump is that for his ears i'm not sure if there's devices for ears worn around the waist but i'm sorry if if there are i i don't i don't know if there are i had a cat that had diabetes and Our lovely little cat Maggie, you if you follow our social media, you may have seen her picture. I put it up there again recently because she was a beautiful cat. She was a stray cat that we found in Istanbul. And she was so thin and so skinny, and she always had that scarcity mindset with food. And so in her later years, she became a little bit overweight, but not maybe because she was overweight. What I learned uh, is that older female cats have a higher incidence of diabetes or insulin resistance than other cats. So one morning, Maggie is, I hear something in the kitchen, and it sounds like somebody is on the counter going for a loaf of bread. And my cats know that they're not allowed on the kitchen counter. They don't get on the counters, but that morning somebody was. And I had noticed the litter box was becoming too full of urine. I noticed Maggie drinking a little bit more water. And I was like, huh? So I took her into the vet. And I put the box on the table and this young vet came in. If you ever, if you're from the UK, they have this show called Vets in Practice. And they always followed these young, newly graduated veterinarians out of vet school. And I think I had one of those because he was like so young and so new. Lovely guy. I'm sure very experienced. But I put Maggie on the table and I said, I think this cat has diabetes. And he looked at me and he's like, well, you can't just like call it like that. You know, we got to check her blood sugar. I said, yes, we do. I said, can can you help me check her blood sugar? So I didn't know that the cat, they checked the blood sugar from the ear. So he pricked her ear, he checked her blood sugar and her blood sugar was high. I think it was close to like 180 or 200. Um, And it should be around 100 just as, as a human. So he was still not convinced she had diabetes. So he needed to get a urine sample. Now I won't go into all the details of that, but they could not get a urine sample from Maggie. In the end, she had to stay the night. They gave her an anesthetic to check the urine, which I think was totally unnecessary and overdone. But then after the urine sample, he was satisfied. And he came back to me and he said, this cat has diabetes. I said, okay. And then after that, we gave her some insulin Shots a couple times a day. And, and she lived to be like 19 years old. But after that experience, when they confirmed to me and I went to pick up my son from school that day, and I walked into school and I had this look because I'm just thinking, like, what are the chances? My child has diabetes, now my cat has diabetes. What's going to happen next? And one of the, the moms that knew me, she looked at me, she said, Are you okay? I said, yeah. I said, it's unbelievable. I said, one of our cats has diabetes. And she knew that my son had type 1 diabetes. And her first question is to me, was, she didn't get it from your son, did he? Like, or did she? She didn't know if the cat was a he or she. She's just like, the cat didn't get it from your son, did he? And I was, I just didn't know what to say. And I just said, no. So yeah, that's the story I'm making. People often ask, and I'm sure if you're listening and you have type 2 diabetes, people will ask you all the time if you can eat that. There's food police everywhere. People would ask, you know, their child's eating something that's kind of junk food. And because my child is there, he's participating in it. And they'll ask like, but can he eat that? Or even if it was like watermelon, can he eat that? Yes, he can eat it. There's a meme, a very popular meme that says that type ones can eat, you know, cookies as long as they're not laced with poison, kind of the same thing for watermelon. I think for all of us, everything in moderation is good, but, but yes, we should all be eating healthy, well-balanced meals, but that doesn't mean that everyone is so perfect and rigid all the time. And in the case of type one, we look at what it is. We look at how many carbohydrates are in it and we give insulin. Or people will always ask, how's his blood sugar been? His blood sugar has been awful because he has type 1 diabetes. Even a person without diabetes does not have blood sugar that's a perfect straight line. It fluctuates, it ebbs and flows. If you have type 1 diabetes, it can be really, really hard to manage, even in people with some of the most well-regulated blood sugars. Maybe it won't always be a flat line. They'll be the one-off. And then also there were, you know, the many well-intentioned, there were the many well-intentioned relatives in the beginning that would ask, why would this happen? And that was always hard to answer because I was asking that question myself and I never found it really supportive or easy to answer. Why would it happen? I have no idea and I wish I knew, but over time we still get questions. They still become easier. And I think, you know, the way that we deal with them, our children see it. And they learn to deal with it through the same way we deal with it a lot of the time through humor or just being really honest. People have asked me also, like, am am I afraid of alternative medicine because that's going to cure my son? And it's very difficult for me to look them in the face and say, no, I'm not afraid of it. But if I focused on it 100%, my son would die because he has to have insulin Those are the difficult conversations to have sometimes, but I don't like to use the word death, but sometimes it's needed when people are really insisting that they have the cure for something that they really don't understand. And there's challenges. If you have diabetes, if you're, if you're an adult and you're at work, it's difficult. Sometimes, not everyone has to know you have diabetes, but sometimes if people do know you have diabetes or they see you struggling They may not understand. They may not understand why you're late to a meeting, if you're having to treat a low blood sugar, or if you have to leave work early to go to a doctor's appointment for a checkup and things like that. Um, I do wish employers were a little bit more understanding. I even had somebody tell me one time when I was leaving to go pick my son up because there was some urgent kind of situation um, with his blood sugar, and someone actually looked at me and said, I wish I had diabetes so I could leave work early. So those things happen. And I understand that they are more about the person that says them than than the person that they're directed at. So I don't get upset anymore. I can only try to advocate and educate and continue to talk about it. And so that's what I do here at Dialogue. And that's why I started this podcast. And that's why also some of the things we do at Diapoint are supportive of that and making the world a better place for people living with diabetes. We focus on education events. We have a lot of exciting plans coming up in in the next year. I can't believe we're already talking about the next year because it's October 12th as I'm recording this. And we just want to make the world a better place for all people with diabetes. So at Diapoint, we focus on a few different areas. One of those is community, the creation of an inclusive diabetes community across the region. We want to help people find the services that they need. And it is our goal to work and collaborate with clinics and hospitals. We don't believe in working in a silo, and we don't believe that any one place can solve everything. It takes a community. We'd love to see people refer patients to each other because the true reality is, is there's how many million people with diabetes in the world? There's enough for everybody. In 2019, there were 463 million with diabetes that were documented that is 9.3% of global health care expenditure. So if you're in the business of diabetes and if there's 760 billion US dollars spent on diabetes every year, there is enough for everyone. So we want to work as part of a community. We're also patient patient and family-focused. And by patient, we mean the person with diabetes and family-focused. We use the word patient, and I know language does matter, and that's another topic um, that we can discuss that is so super important. But we use the word patient because when speaking with organizations and clinics that work with people with diabetes, we want to find common language. And while we want them to say person with diabetes – they refer to all of their clients as patients and so that's why we say patient and family focus sometimes but we are absolutely aware that diabetes does not define who a person is it's just a condition that they have that they have to manage so by this we mean the establishment of education and social activities for all people living with diabetes we also focus on wellness coaching and Coaching is really important. Coaching was important before I realized it was important. I've always been interested in health and wellness, and I've always lived fairly healthily throughout my life. But it wasn't until I started learning more about coaching and positive psychology that I realized that that was one of the things that helped me succeed very early on in my son's care. And that it really got me to kind of pick myself up and move forward for his sake. And very early on in our diagnosis, I asked his doctor a question and his doctor turned it back to me and said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't know, because you're the doctor. I want you to tell me the answer. And I think as patients of doctors, we, have been trained and we're so used to just the doctor telling us what to do. We want the doctor to solve it. We want the doctor to give us advice. But when you have a chronic condition, what I realize is your doctor's not always there to give you the answer. And we have to learn how to problem solve and how to manage it. And so that's what he was trying to help me do because he knew that I wouldn't have access to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he knew that I had to start doing my own critical thinking. Therefore, I could teach my son and coach my son into managing his diabetes, which is what I try to do now. And the approach absolutely works. It's not done in a silo. It's done with the team. It's done with the person with diabetes, their medical team. But it can be a beautiful collaboration, and it can help anyone achieve their lifelong goals um, beyond what what they thought was even possible. And we also do some other things, uh, working with hospitals and clinics to help them with different programs that they have for people with diabetes. So that's a little bit more about what we do at DiaPoint. So one thing that I'd like to leave you with before I go is an upcoming challenge that we're having for the month of November. And as you know, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. And this year we thought we'd do it a little bit differently. We are going to be out there advocating and joining others in the community to do some pretty amazing things. And we'll share more details about that. However, Um, please watch for your chance to sign up for the Diapoint November Challenge. Here, we're going to be tracking our health and well-being for the entire month and all aspects of our health. When people think of health, they often think of it in the context of only weight loss or in the context of only exercise, but that is only one part of it. Health and well-being is so much more than just the physical. It's, it goes so much further th- than that. It's, it's not, like they say, beauty is only skin deep. Um, health and wellness is way beyond skin deep. And I was listening to a podcast this weekend as I was working in my garden. If you follow me on social media, you'll have seen this picture. Um, I took a picture of my garden after I dug out all the holes and put all the plants in, and then this weekend we – topped it off um, by landscaping it. had a lovely Thursday night date night with my husband and we drove down in the desert and got a bunch of rocks and mulch, loaded it up the car and drove back and then put that back in the garden um, the next day. For those of you that don't live in Dubai, rocks and mulch are just not lying around. We did go to a proper garden place to buy this. So as I was putting everything in the garden to finish it off, I was listening to a podcast that I really enjoy and I thought, okay, this guest might be interesting. And he was, the pitch was, he was going to talk about or teach people how to live to be 150 years old, which is amazing. Nobody's living to be 150 at this point in time or yet. And he highlighted that once upon a time, yes, the average lifespan was kind of thirty five and people never thought much beyond that and Now here we are, and we can get into our seventies and He highlighted that in the West, for example, in u s the lifespan is declining, and that is largely due to lifestyle and that that's been you know scientifically proven and he went on to talk about a lot of other things, but what I realized the things that he was talking about that might help us live to be 150 are things that we can all act on now, things that we can do now for the most part. He did talk a lot about a, a lot about healthcare technology and different things, but a lot of the things he talked about are available in the developed world. So there's no reason to start adopting these habits. And this is from one of the leading experts on anti aging in the world. So if you join us for the November challenge, you can actually start to focus on improving your health and wellness. Now, I can't promise you you're going to live to be 150. I don't think any of us listening to this are. However, no better time than the present to take charge of your health. Come join us for the Diapoint November Challenge. And in there, you will be able to focus on your mental health and self-care. We're going to focus on your sleep. We're going to focus on the basics of nutrition. We're going to focus on hydration, super important, and we're going to focus on exercise. And if you have diabetes, there is also a focus on blood sugar. So please, if you're not on our email list, get on it. Go to www.diapointme.com and sign up for our mailing list or drop us an email at info at And we're going to have a little challenge around this as well, and the winner will get a free coaching session. So stay tuned for all the details. And I hope to see you there. If you don't want to participate in the November challenge, that's okay too. But try to do one of these things and start taking care of your health. Drink more water, get more sleep, get off your device, get outside if it's not too hot where you are, or too cold, and take care of yourself and your health and beyond the physical. So if you've made it this far through my first solo episode in the Dialogue podcast, thank you for joining me. And I'll be back next week with a very special guest. And I look forward to seeing you again soon.